Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Megan Murphy. This week, Italy steps up the pressure on its banking sector to boost their core Tier 1 capital ahead of the European Union stress test starting this month. What we saw is a big sell-off of Italian banks last week on the back of the Ubi Banker capital raising. They sold off within about 24 hours. The top 10 Italian banks lost about $4.2 billion. Ireland's banks look for another bailout to the tune of €24 billion. Euros. Is this enough this time to draw a line under the financial crisis that has toppled almost the entire banking system in Ireland? And in the UK, speculation increases ahead of the Banking Commission's interim report due out next week. As you remember, there's kind of two thrusts behind this commission. They're looking at the structure of the banks in terms of the safety and the ways in which the taxpayer might be protected in future from the cost of any any bailouts. And then the second issue is competition. Joining me in the studio to discuss these topics this week are Charlene Goff and Patrick Jenkins. We start the show this week with Stateside. This week, the U.S. banking update comes from Justin Baer. Over to you, Justin. Thanks, Megan. Last week, one U.S. bank regulator unveiled plans to auction off subprime mortgage-backed securities. Another regulator unsealed secret documents from the financial crisis. And the third watchdog held settlement talks with J.P. Morgan Chase. The New York Fed said it would auction off a portfolio of mortgage-backed securities housed within Maiden Lane 2, a vehicle created during the bailout of AIG. The decision dealt a blow to AIG, which had hoped to buy back the mortgage bonds to help juice their earnings as the insurance company moves closer to reclaiming its independence from government ownership. AIG could still bid on individual securities, and probably will, but so can any other bank, insurer, or hedge fund looking for higher-yielding investments. Based on the number of inquiries the New York Fed had received from banks such as Barclays and Credit Suisse, the some 800 bonds could go quickly. One of the biggest secrets of the crisis was revealed last week when the Federal Reserve at last released documents on how often banks visited the discount window and how much they borrowed as the credit markets froze. Belgium's Dexia, DEFA Germany, Wachovia, and Bank of Scotland were among the biggest borrowers of the overnight loans. Finally, collateralized debt obligations, those complex mortgage-linked securities that became the bane of banks' existence during the crisis, were back in the headlines late last week when it was revealed that J.P. Morgan Chase was in talks to settle the U.S. securities regulator's inquiry into how the lender marketed a CDO the hedge fund Magnetar had helped create. That's it for me. Back to you, Megan. Thank you, Justin. Let's turn to our first topic for today. Italy's banking sector efforts to shore up their capital. Joining me on the line is Rachel Sanderson from Milan. Rachel, where are we at with this and what's really going on? You know, Italian banks have been amongst some of the most weakly capitalized in Europe. A couple of the smaller lenders amongst the Monte de Paschi di Siena, which is actually Italy's third largest bank, but significantly smaller than Unicredit and Intesa, narrowly, only narrowly passed a stress test last time. There's been a lot of moral suasion, one from the Treasury in the form of the powerful finance minister, Giulio Tremonti, and also from the Bank of Italy governor. That seems to finally been taking effect in that we had Ubi Banker moving last week with a 
1 billion euro capital raising, and the expectation is that Intesa's board tomorrow will approve a 5 billion euro capital raising, and the expectations are this is going to be followed by other Italian banks. Of Unicredit. I spoke with the chief executive Federico Ghizzoni over the weekend, and he is insisting that he does not need to raise capital because they are currently at 8.58% of core tier one at the moment. And you think that will hold? I think the situation is Mr. Ghizzoni has put a proviso into his phrases, which is at the current situation with our 8.58% of core tier one, we will not need to make recourse to the market giving himself, as it were, a get-out clause that if regulators define them as being a CFE, saying that they are systemically important for the financial sector and demanding a higher capital ratio, we may see Unicredit going to the market as well. But at the moment, the bank is insisting not. Analysts, bankers are expecting that it's quite possible they may need to make some recourse. And you talked about the market there. How's the market responding this morning? This morning, what we saw is a big sell-off of Italian banks last week on the back of the Ubi Banker capital raising. They sold off within about 24 hours. The top 10 Italian banks lost about 4.2 billion euros in value, with the market basically factoring in the expectations that we're going to see a big capital raising across the sector. What we're also seeing, which is interesting, is that the Italian state in the form of the Treasury Ministry is ratcheting up this moral suasion. They are discussing at the moment a solution of last resort that Italian banks that fail the stress test, the state will have room to take stakes in them through its financing agency, the Casa Depositi e Prestiti. And my understanding is Italian bankers aren't very keen on that idea of the state taking a stake in them. And so they are more inclined now to move to the market. Well, that's one we'll be watching for sure in coming days. Thank you so much, Rachel. That's fascinating stuff. Let's move on to Ireland now. Charlene last week saw yet another bailout to the tune of 24 billion euros. Is this the last that we're going to see? I think that's the question on everyone's lips. Like, is this enough this time to draw a line under the financial crisis that has toppled almost the entire banking system in Ireland? These are huge numbers now. They go far further than the bailout did in November and the one that happened a year ago. The banks collectively need an extra 24 billion of euros of capital to fill the hole that will be created by these huge losses on their loan books. So that's mainly going into AIB, Allied Irish Banks. They need to raise an extra 13 billion. Bank of Ireland, the second biggest bank, is needing to raise over 5 billion euros. Tell me about this two pillars which system put forward of basically breaking it down into two groups and how that's going to work. Basically, they've decided that the Irish banking system can be stripped down to two main institutions, and that will be Bank of Ireland on its own, and that will be Allied Irish Banks incorporating a much smaller lender, EBS, which they've been trying to sell for some time unsuccessfully. So that will be rolled into AIB, and they will be the two. They're calling them pillar banks, as you say. And the rest of the sector is effectively being wound down or sold off. You've got Irish Life and Permanent having to raise an extreme amount of capital relative to its size, sort of 4 billion euros, when it's only worth about 50 million. And so that is basically having to sell off all its assets. And Anglo-Irish and another little building society are going to disappear altogether. So basically being reduced down to these two institutions. Of course, you've got other foreign lenders in there with RBS running Ulster Bank and a couple of other foreign lenders. But chiefly, that's what we're left with. 
Patrick, is there going to be a knock-on effect from this either in Spain and Portugal or in the UK, as Charlene just mentioned, Ulster Bank? There was some analyst research out last night suggesting that some of the UK banks, particularly RBS, hasn't taken a big enough hit on its loan book yet in terms of its exposure there. So where do you think this is all going to lead in terms of knock-on effect? I think undoubtedly there will be a knock-on effect, as you say, particularly on RBS, as opposed to Lloyd's, which also has big operations in Ireland, but they took a significant hit towards the end of last year. RBS didn't. And as you say, RBS is the owner of Ulster Bank, so it has its own operation on the ground, if you like. I think we're probably likely to see some kind of update from them on that if not certainly with first quarter results, if not before, and equally with the other foreign banks that are present in the market. One thing to say is how Bank of Ireland responds to this, because although they've been identified with this shortfall, despite expectations, I suppose that you know this was inevitably going to be a state bailout, their language on towards the end of last week was pretty vehement that they wanted to try and raise it in the market. And I think that'll be a, a challenge. But maybe now there's greater clarity over other things, they might be able to, to get out there. But um, I think, I don't know what the timing on, the, on that well, is likely to be. They, they haven't actually put a definitive timeline on this. So they've kind of got an open window to try and raise some of this. I mean, on Friday, Bank of Ireland shares responded hugely positively to the news they were up by sort of 40 odd percent as investors sort of cheered the idea that they might be able to stave off full government control. I mean, people who I were talking to immediately after the the stress test results were announced were saying they could probably raise between one and two billion euros through kind of restructuring some of their subordinated debt. That still leaves them with three billion, which sounds like a rather daunting rights issue. But again, bankers were sort of saying, well, look, if they can launch this and it's underwritten by the government, we've got more clarity now on how the banks are going to be scaled back. ECB is committed to continuing to fund them. So if it was sort of priced at a wide enough discount, you may get enough investor interest to pull that off. Finally, let's turn to what is topic number one here in London and has been for some time, the FT, with two great stories last week on this, both in looking at the possibility that there will be some type of effort to forge a peace pact between the government and the banking sector and the commission in terms of implementing any wide-ranging structural reforms to the sector. And secondly, and one that gained some traction, and I think we're seeing it too this week, is just exactly if there is going to be some type of subsidiarization, is, is, is what they call it, how that's going to look. Patrick, is it looking like a ring fencing of UK retail as opposed to the far more draconian subsidiarization of investment banking and retail as a whole? Well, I think it certainly is. We're expecting on April the 11th for the the interim report, as it's called, from the, the Banking Commission to be published ahead of a September final report. But I think increasingly it's looking like the interim report is going to be fairly final in its conclusions. As you remember, there's kind of two thrusts behind this commission. They're looking at the structure of the banks in terms of the safety and the ways in which the taxpayer might be protected in future from the cost of any any bailouts. And then the second issue is competition. On the structural point, which is really the thing that freaks the banks out and freaks the markets out, the whole original draconian idea was 
you split up the banks in a replication of U.S. Glass-Steagall legislation that followed the Wall Street crash in the 30s. Now, I don't know whether it's explicitly going to be ruled out in this interim report, but I think it's extremely likely that it'll be clear that they're not going to go that far. You also mentioned the idea of subsidiarising and forcing the subsidiarisation of all entities under a bank's grouping. And I think it feels as if that also has kind of faded as an idea. A lot of banks say, well, that would almost be the same as forcing us to you know, sell off, break up entirely if you force us to legally house and capitalise and provide liquidity to individual bits then you might as well go as far as breaking them up. So the the solution that I think they are likely to confirm as the favourite one on April 11th is this idea of ring-fencing the UK retail business and stuff that you need to keep it operating, such as payment systems and probably SME lending goes in there as well because that's so economically important. And the cost of this, interestingly and importantly, would be far less than the wholesale subsidiarisation idea. Estimates I've heard are about four to five billion pounds for the sector as a whole, which obviously a lot of money, but far less than the 15 billion or so that have been mooted for the other ideas. You mentioned in your story on this on Friday, the idea would be almost a drawbridge going up in a time of crisis on retail. Now, the one issue that I think some bankers have raised in a time of a true global systemic crisis, an operation like Barclays Capital, how could you really separate if, let's say, a Barclays Capital unit was going under? Is this the type of solution that would really affect that from damaging the UK banking system as a whole? Put aside the sort of global system, because we're just looking at the UK. It would definitely require separate capitalization of the retail banks. So the estimates that are being thrown around internally uh, at Barclays, for example, are that they would have to maybe inject a billion pounds of capital into that retail business. They would then probably have to seek a separate credit rating for that business and raise their liquidity separately from the rest of the group. Now, what isn't clear to me, although I'm sure it's been decided, is how you allow that retail operation to interact with the rest of the group. Now, Patrick mentioned there's a whole other prong to this report, which is on competition. We had a report out from the Treasury Select on Friday looking into this issue in depth. They identified several issues that they think are still indicative of a market that lacks a tremendous amount of competition and made some recommendations that the Commission look at certain areas. Where do you feel the Commission is leaning towards now on the competition side? Well, I think it was interesting on Friday to get the Treasury Committee report because there wasn't a huge amount of very concrete proposals in there. Its basic conclusion was that the market is not competitive. We knew that already. It was quite categoric in its conclusion on the Lloyd's HBOS deal, which has attracted a lot of attention because that's one of the main reasons the market has become less competitive. You had two big lenders joining up and they now control about a third of the market. The Treasury conclusion was that that should be left untouched. And that's something, again, that the ICB will be looking at in its report. So I think it's safe to assume that it's not going to go as far as separating Lloyds and HBOS. But it has been looking very closely at the dominance of Lloyds and it could, at the extreme end of things, require the bank to sell more branches. Again, that's problematic. It would be unlikely that they could do something like that without going back to the EU, without bringing in legislation. That's going to be a hugely lengthy process that will delay the government's sale of its stake in Lloyds. Is it going to want to create another cloud of uncertainty 
possibly for a couple of years, seems doubtful. But then the Commission isn't left with a huge amount of choice if it really wants to shake things up. I mean, there's a number of things it can do around making it easier for customers to switch current accounts, to understand how much they're paying for their accounts, to compare savings accounts between different banks. But it's not clear whether the Commission will be satisfied that those kind of peripheral measures will do enough. One thing it is likely to do is be very firm about who the sale of these state-backed assets should go to. That would be Northern Rock. That would be the branch disposal from Lloyd's, that they shouldn't be swallowed up by a, a big player in the market. I mean, there's already some restrictions over that, but a bit of a tighter rein that they really have got to be a big new competitive force in the market. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks so much to Charlene and Patrick and Rachel on the line in Milan and, of course, Justin in New York. And thanks to you for listening. Banking Weekly is produced by LJ Filatrani. And until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.